Amen? Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or on your device to John chapter 8. We're going to continue trekking through this amazing gospel according to John. It is a narrative about Jesus from his closest friend, John. And as we get into that, to, to get us to the place where we can hear from God's Word, we need to be reminded of where we're at today because it's a timely message as God would have it. We're going to be talking about freedom. And in just the last couple of weeks, everything has flipped upside down. And you agree with that. In fact, you're a product of it. You are sitting in a parking lot, in your car, at church on Sunday morning. If you saw that coming, blow your horn. Don't you blow your horn or we're going to Vegas. Now, there you go. Now, everything has changed. Our freedom to go out and enjoy dinner someplace altered. Our freedom to go to a sporting event or some form of entertainment altered. Our freedom to go to school altered. Where was this when I was in school? That's what I want to know. Our freedom to visit the ones that we love altered. Most importantly, our freedom to gather as a church has been altered. And now I want you to imagine for a second that gathering together as believers was stripped away from us for good. I, I want you to imagine that this isn't a temporary thing waiting for a virus to run its course. Imagine for a second that this is what future looked like, or even worse. Imagine a, a, a time when they take away even the opportunity to come together and meet in cars, that social spacing isn't even the key anymore. Well, I want to let you know we're really not that far away. The wrong people with the wrong amount of power can strip away the things that we hold most dear in our lives. In Virginia, Governor Ralph Northam issued an executive order on Monday of this week that is aimed at stopping the spread of the coronavirus. In the process, it makes it a criminal offense to hold a church service attended by more than 10 people. In that ruling, if convicted, it is a class one misdemeanor with a penalty of up to and including both or either $2,500 and up to 12 months in prison. Now we're under the radar because he goes on to say that it's okay to do um, online church or what he called drive-in church. Excuse me, drive-through church. We're drive-in church. So even in Virginia, I think we would be under the radar. What we've done here is tried to stay ahead of the curve. What we've done here is try to continue to honor our biblical mandate to assemble together. But here's what I want you to consider. If meeting together as a church was stripped away from you, would it really be that big a deal? Or would it satisfy your schedule just fine? Because see, in American culture today, church does not have the value that it once had. Church does not have the value that Jesus died to give it value. And so it should serve as an awakening to us whether or not we really want to come together and worship the one that we call King of our universe and Savior of our soul, Jesus. And so I have always loved church. And I love church more now than ever. Quite honestly, 
We were going to have a drive-in church, whether you showed up or not. Because when God breathes in me a message, I'm going to preach it. And so we would have videoed it and put it online like everybody else. But we wanted to color outside the lines and do everything possible to honor the freedom that God has given us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 begins like this. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. And let us consider one another and provoke them unto love and good works, not forsaking, here it is, the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's talking about the closer we get to the imminent return of Jesus Christ for His church, His second coming. We should have a desire, a burning desire in our heart to come together with Christians. And so I want to encourage you from this day moving forward, assembling together, whether it's here or in your home church, take it back to the place where it is a priority once again. And I know it's a priority for most all of you because you're here in this unusual circumstance on this day. And so when we talk about freedoms, there's three types of freedom that we all pursue at some level. There's an external freedom. External freedom is a privilege to simply live in freedom, to have choices about how we spend our daily lives. Freedom to openly love who we choose to love. Freedom to come and go as we please. Freedom to worship the God we choose. Whether, whether our God is the God, Yahweh, or whether our God is a sports superstar, whether our God is money, whether our God has a different name, we are free to choose that God. It's an external freedom. We live in a country where we're free to carry firearms. Sometimes, though, the freedom that we enjoy can be risky freedoms, like the freedom we have to gamble, the freedom we have to drink alcohol, the freedom we have in some places to smoke marijuana, the freedom we have to get online and view all forms of filth and pornography. There are freedoms that we have, but sometimes those freedoms, external freedoms, can be very risky. There's another kind of freedom. It's an internal freedom. This freedom is the feeling of freedom that we have emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. It is a freedom, man, that's on the inside. It's a freedom that you can't physically see but you see a demonstration of it through the attitude and the countenance of someone who is free on the inside. It's the freedom not to hold a grudge or a burden. It's the freedom to forgive those that offend us. It's the freedom in our heart and in our soul and mind simply to let things go, to move forward and away from the mistakes of our past, our mistakes and those mistakes that, that were cast upon us. And then there's a third freedom, and this is the coolest one, the most amazing, and that is an eternal freedom. We are free. Tell, tell your neighbor in your car, if you're watching online, he's talking to you. Go ahead and tell him. You have a choice to determine what you want to believe about eternal freedom. You, you can believe as some that when this life is over, we just disappear or vanish into oblivion. There's nothing on the other side of our last heartbeat. Or you can choose to believe that we come back reincarnated. 
maybe as something better, maybe as something worse. Or you can, you can choose to believe that you'll spend eternity in heaven just because you were gooder than you were badder. There's some good English for you. Just because you were better than worse, you think you'll go to heaven. Or you can believe, as God's Word has told us, that there is an eternity in heaven waiting for those who are found in the sacrificial gift and resurrection of Jesus, His Son. So to find and experience external, internal, and eternal freedom, that's when life gets amazing. That's when life gets good, because at that point you're free. And I want to tell you today, not based on my word, but based on the word of God, that freedom, those three freedoms are only accomplished through Jesus, God's son. And that's who we're here to speak about and to worship on this day. Amen. Now, I want you to know I'm a huge fan of freedom. My parents would tell you that as a child, often I was more free than I should have been. Meaning this, I, I never have liked a lot of rules and guidelines. They just don't work for me. I like to buy my free spirit. You know what I'm saying? And so it's always been difficult for me to be bound. And because of that, it's why I so appreciate our military, those who are actively protecting this thing we call freedom, those who are now veterans who have served in the past protecting this thing called freedom, those who have died protecting this thing called freedom. It's why I appreciate police officers. Now, I appreciate them more when they're behind somebody else's vehicle with the lights on, but I appreciate them for taking care and protecting me while I am enjoying the freedoms of this land. If you go to New York, there's a statue that the whole world is familiar with, the Statue of Liberty. And below it is this inscription. It's a poem written by Emma Lazarus. It says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Our nation is built on freedom. At the foot of that statue is a broken chain representing bondage being broken in a free country. But I want you to know that freedom doesn't find its origin at the foot of the Statue of Liberty. The idea, the principle of freedom that we enjoy finds its origin in the second chapter of God's eternal, timeless, infallible Word. In Genesis chapter 2, we find freedom. And freedom comes with restrictions. People want to think freedom has no restrictions. Unrestricted freedom is not freedom. I want you to see what this look, looks like in its origin in Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free, everybody say free, to eat from any tree of the garden. God says, Adam, I love you, man. You're created in my image. You're the pinnacle of all I've created. You are free, bro, to eat of any tree in the garden. I mean, it's abundance is that freedom. But he continues, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
You see, there's an abundance of freedom that God gives us. But with that freedom, even God gives us some restrictions because He wants to protect us and He knows how easy it is for us to abuse the freedoms that we have. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is enjoyed fully because of restrictions. Let me tell you what that looks like. I am free to swim, but I am not free to breathe underwater. I am free to jump off the porch, but I am not free to jump off the house without consequences. Boundaries are given simply to improve the value of our freedom. One second. I've never had to do that before in church in my whole life. So today there's some confusion about freedoms. In our world today, there's many, many people who claim Christianity. They profess Christianity, and at the same time, they're in bondage. And so often the question begs to be asked, can a Christian be bound to a sinful life? Because we all know people who are bound to a sinful life. They battle and they fail because of bondage that continues to have a place in their life. In Galatians 5.1, the Bible says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Look at your neighbor and say, you're supposed to be free. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to claim to be free. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to own your freedom. Here's why. Because Jesus died to grant it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied the power therein. Often when we fall to a bondage that maybe we've had in the past, maybe a bondage that's current, it's because we claim Christianity, but we don't, we don't claim the power that comes when the Holy Spirit fills our life. And so today, as we look into John chapter 8, my message is two parts. I have two points for today. In John chapter 8, the title of the message is Free to Choose a New Master. Free to Choose a New Master. Now the idea of having a master pushes back against even the idea of freedom. But the great theologian Bob Dylan got it right when he said this, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil and it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. I mean, he got that right. And so your freedom is really a freedom to choose a new master in your life. And so point number one is freedom commands obedience. Freedom commands obedience and not selfish ambition. 
in John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Judeans who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you continue to follow My teaching, then you are really My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Four simple things about that really small verse that are powerfully true and powerfully important for you and I to understand. The first is that freedom hangs on two letters, I and F. If freedom hangs on this little bitty word, if. He says, if you will do this. Number two, freedom demands our allegiance. If we want to be free, we need to be fully dedicated, devoted, and giving our full allegiance to the truth. Because he says, if you will continue to follow my teaching, if you will continue, it's a daily routine, a daily exercise that we, that we pursue Jesus and that we claim freedom. Number three, freedom is found in our identity. He says, if you will continue to follow, you are really my disciples. Really my disciples. I think it's funny that Jesus chose to clear this up because there's a lot of people who profess Christianity without possessing Christianity. There's a lot of people who are Christian by name, but they're not really disciples, sold-out followers of Jesus. The world's full of them. Jesus says, if you continue to follow my teaching, you really are my disciples. Number four, freedom is built on truth because Jesus says the truth will set you free. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet pointed to a people who had tried to rewrite the script or the narrative regarding God's law and freedom. And so in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, Jeremiah says, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. God through Jeremiah says, you've rewritten the story. You've come up with your own guidelines for freedom. And you live in bondage and you claim the freedom that God is offering you. He's speaking to a nation that looks very much like the nation we live in today. Now, I want to clear something up. Reading that verse again, he says, If you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. <clears throat> so why is it that there's so many people who claim Christianity and yet they're not free? 
Jesus died a brutal death on a cross, rose again on the third day to provide to us a free life. Why is it so many people are bound to everything other than Jesus? It's because there's some confusion. And quite honestly, we've contributed to it. As the church, as preachers, we've contributed to it. And we have to take some ownership. It's because we haven't done a good job explaining that you can't just have Jesus as your Savior. You have to have Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You see, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord over 600 times. Jesus is referred to as Savior about 25 times. And yet we live in a world, man, where we want to tell people how they can get saved because ain't nobody in their right mind that wants to go to hell. And so we want to tell them, and they want to receive salvation. They want a ticket. They want to go to heaven when they die. But we forget to tell them with salvation comes lordship. With salvation comes Jesus being our new master. Jesus is now large and in charge in our life. He's more than just a ticket to heaven. Now listen, Jesus as Savior changes our soul. Jesus as Lord changes my life. Jesus as Savior changes my eternity. Jesus as Lord changes my now. Jesus as Savior is His life given for mine. Jesus as Lord is my life given for Him. Now, there's a disparity between those two, a chasm of difference. But I want you to hear me today. For Jesus to be your Savior, He must be your Lord. And because He's often found to be Savior but not Lord, often there's bondage and there's a lack of freedom in our lives. Now, I'll I'll paint it a different way. I want you to understand how easily we are entangled to the things in this world when we should be free. And, And often what we do in our Christianity is we run free. But we have this one little stranglehold, this one little point of bondage that we tolerate and we live with. Kendra and I, just the other day, Kendra called me. She said, Joel, do you have any mousetraps? I said, no, I don't don't have mousetraps. We've been in our house for a couple of years, hadn't seen a mouse. We got a mouse. And Kendra's like, we hate mice. I ain't even that fond of Mickey mice. Okay, we don't, even, we don't even like mice, okay? I hate them. And, and so if you are with uh, animal lovers activist group, this preacher hates mice. And, 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 and we won't live. We will not coexist with a mouse. And so used to, you'd put a mouse trap in, which was a man's mouse trap. Mouse, mouse, a mouse comes over, takes a little bite of cheese, and bam! That thing just gets him right in the neck. 
Okay, game over. Easy cleanup, pick it up, throw it out. Amen. Now, we become more civilized. We want to give them a long, treacherous, slow, miserable, hopeful death. So we put out sticky trap. And so Kendra put out a sticky trap. I put out a sticky trap. Came home, I heard something squealing. To be so small, they got a big, powerful set of lungs. And this little mouse had two little bitty feet stuck in the sticky trap. That's all. Head was free, other legs free, tail free, belly free, two little bitty pencil point feet stuck in the trap. And he was fighting for dear life to get free. And I know he was thinking, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. If I can just get this, and he's, he's pulling, and the trap is saying, you ain't going nowhere, bro. You are here, all right? Now, I could have let him die a slow, miserable death. Kind of wanted to. Because he had gone into our pantry, sampled about everything we own, like a buffet. Got into a car seat that we had sitting in the garage floor, <clears throat> and he probably found a buffet there. And he ate the whole bottom out of that car seat. And so I was at a crossroads. Do I take this mouse and set him free? Or do I terminate his little life? Okay? I'm not going to tell you what it did. I'll just tell you that I hate mice. Now, what, why do I tell that story? Because that little mouse is a picture of many people who claim Christianity. They, they walk in the majority of freedom, but they still have a foot or a hand in the world. They're still bound by that one thing. And I want you to know, even if it's a small thing in your life that has you connected to something that God does not want you connected to, it will spoil your freedom. And listen, and ultimately it can end your life. And so we don't need to mess around with the things that God doesn't want in our life. Now he says in this verse <clears throat> that we must know him. The word know means to know. Now, many of you say, if I said, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know Jesus. The word know implies a relationship that's reciprocal. In other words, you know him and he knows you. Now, we all know people who are name droppers, right? And they'll say something about a celebrity or they were talking to, you know, some famous person. But for it to be a true relationship, it's reciprocal. Uh, over at Second Baptist Church, they have a staff member. His name's Craig Witt. And Craig is their uh, pastor of discipleship, and he knows a lot of people. He, he, he drops a lot of names. Some people that you hear on the radio, Tony Evans, Priscilla Shire, some of those people you hear, on the, hear about on the radio, uh, Johnny Hunt, uh, foot, famous football players uh, uh, all over the map. He knows them. He, he'll throw his name out. But here's the difference. We can be used to when I was working over there. We'd be somewhere, and they would call him. They would call Craig. Now, now that's a relationship where they know each other both ways. 
Now you say, well, Jesus is God. He knows me. Yeah, but he may know you, but he may not know you in relationship. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Bible says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did, did we not tell people that we're believers? Did we not claim Christianity? Did, did, did we not tell people we were Christian? Did we not go to church? And Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. And so it's important that we know Jesus and he knows us. And in that knowing is a relationship where there's allegiance, where there's faithfulness, where there's committedness, where He's the, not just our Savior, but He is the Lord and Master and King of our lives. So tell the person sitting in the car, sitting on the couch, freedom commands obedience. Number two, freedom requires ownership, not another excuse. Ownership meaning that you just admit and confess and own the reality of who you are. In verse 33 of chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, it says, we are descendants of Abraham. Jesus, Jesus just told him, he says, listen, if you'll come to me, if you'll know me, you'll be free. And so they fire right back and they say, hey, 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 man, we are descendants of Abraham. And we have never been anyone's slave. So how can you say you will become free? Did you hear that? These are Jewish elite. The religious people of the day. And they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, what do you even mean you can set us free? We've never been bound to anybody. We've never been a slave. How easy it is to deny the reality of our bondage. How easy it is to make excuses for who we really are. And what Jesus, all Jesus is looking for is for people to own who they are. Just to say, you got me. That's who I am. And then Jesus can do a work in your life. He, he just wants transparency. They had forgotten about their bondage. They had forgotten Egypt. They had forgotten Babylon. They had forgotten Assyria. They had forgotten the Chaldeans. And now they had forgotten that they're in bondage in Rome. So easy to make excuses and all Jesus wants is transparency because we're all naked before God. He knows who we are. We, can't, we may hide it from our spouse. We may hide it from our children. We may hide it from our parents. We may hide it from the government. But we cannot hide it from the God who created us. So freedom begins with our ownership 
of the bondage that we're in. Now, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Our human nature in, in the culture we live in, we, we, we just don't like to confess brokenness. In fact, we want to embrace it and call it okay, even though it may stand adamantly opposed to the Bible. And Christians do that. I, I get frustrated sometimes, not because of what lost people do. Lost people should act like lost people. If you're lost, you can live like hell. That's where you're going. That's, that's, that's who your, who your uh, father is. The Bible says your father the devil. You should act like that. That's what lost people should do. But if you're a Christian, you shouldn't act like lost people. We should act like Jesus. Instead, we continue to embrace the things that God rejects. So freedom requires ownership. I want you to tell your neighbor, you just need to own it. You've been wanting to tell them. Tell them. You just need to own it. So today, I want you to know something. In this parking lot, certainly in this valley behind me, there's many, many people who are bound. Many, many people who have chains around them. And of those and of you, there are Christians who have such bondage. And I want you to know today, what God did with the weather is a picture of what He'll do in your life. This morning about, I guess it was 7.30, thunder, lightning, pouring the rain, black clouds. That's what life feels like when we are bound. That's what life feels like in the absence of freedom. But then about 9 o'clock, things started to move. The clouds blew away, the, re the rains, the lightning, the, th the thunder ceased, and the sun emerged. And I want you to know that that's what Jesus will do in your life. I want you to know that that is what Jesus offers us to move not part of it to the side, but all of it to the side so that we are free, truly Free. It, it's a brand new beginning that he offers. I am a product of new beginnings. Sometimes, even in our Christian journey, we just need to come to we just need to come to a place of transparency where we own who we are and we own all of our faults and mistakes, all of our hang-ups, hurts, and habits. And we just lay them at the foot of the cross and tell Jesus that we need a brand new beginning. And He is faithful and He will give us a new beginning and He will start His work in our life again. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and join me as we pray. If you're here today and maybe Jesus has been your Savior, but Jesus has never been your Lord. It is my prayer today that you would step out into a new place and make Jesus the Lord, the Master, the King 
the boss of your life. Because then you will find the freedom that Jesus, your Savior, wants to give you. Maybe you're here today and you've never made Him Savior or Lord. It's my prayer today that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart and invite you into His presence that you could know God, that you could have relationship with God. If that's you, I would invite you to simply pray this prayer. God, I come before you and I know that you're there. I cannot deny it when I just look around at your amazing creation. But God, I know also because I feel deep in my soul something stirring. I trust that it's your Holy Spirit. And God, right now, your Holy Spirit, I feel like, is inviting me into a real relationship with you. And so, God, I want to be in relationship with you. God, I believe that can only happen through you and what you've done by coming to this earth in the form of a man named Jesus. And I want that Jesus to come into my life. I want that Jesus to erase, eradicate my curse and my sins of the past, the present, and the future. I want that Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. From this day forward, God, I, I claim belief in you. I claim salvation through you. I claim freedom because from this day forward, I will live for you and not for me. Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you for saving me on this sunny drive-in church day. Help me live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the rest of us, as we leave after this song, the challenge for you, the challenge for me, is to surrender to Jesus more fully and let Him be the absolute pinnacle, the apex of Lordship in our life. That everything we want to do is in obedience to Him because He is our Lord and our Master. And then this week, I want you to pray in particular for two things. First, I want you to pray for our nurses and doctors, both here and around the world, who are on the front line battling this invisible enemy called the coronavirus. And I want you to pray for our national leadership, that they will have discernment and wisdom in how to continue to suppress and to contain this terrible disease. And if you'll do that, God will hear and God will do mighty things. And lastly, I want to say thank you for joining us here at the Church of Sturkey Hills Drive-In Church. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week and wash your hands. And with that, let's sing a song. Our offering attendants will be standing on the road if you choose to give offering that way. 
If not, if you're a guest, this is for our people. God bless. Thank you.